0: Exodus chapter 6, verses 14 through 30, the passage you've all been waiting for, I'm sure, the genealogy. (laughs) At least someone's excited. All right, Exodus chapter 6, verses 14 through 30, this is the word of our God. These are the heads of their father's house, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben. And the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Yakin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generations. Gershon, Kohath, Merari, the years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shimi, by their clans. The sons of Kohath, Amran, Ishar, Hebron, and Uziel, the years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merari, Mali, and Mushi, these are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Amram took as his wife, Yachabed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses, the years of the life of Amram being 137 years the sons of Izhar, Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri, the sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elazaphan, and Sithri. Aaron took as his wife, Elisheba, the daughter of Amenadab, the sister of Nishan, and she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, the sons of Korah, Asir, Elkanah, and Abiasaf. These are the clans of the Korites." Eleazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites by their clans. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel uh, from Egypt. This Moses and this Aaron on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? Sends the reading of the Lord's word this morning. Now, let's pray together. Almighty God, as we come before your word, we thank you. Uh, We thank you that you reveal it to us. We ask that you would illuminate, that you would teach us what you want us to know from this genealogy. Uh, Lord, be with our hearts and our minds to understand, to trust you, and to grow in our understanding of your gospel. Bless us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May we be seated. Quite a mouthful of a passage, isn't it? Well, let me ask you this. How do you know or how do you show your qualifications for a job? Right, You go into the interview and they say, well, give us your resume. Right, Your resume lists all your achievements, all your skills, uh, the people who you know and who know you, uh, who can testify to your character. Right, in a resume, the things that you choose to prioritize say a lot about you. It says, here's what I believe are my strengths. Here's what I believe are my weaknesses. Here are the people that I think can speak best about my character. Well, in ancient times, it wasn't quite as much about your achievements and your skills. Um, What set you apart, right? what qualified you, was your family history. Who you came from matters just as much, if not more, as who you are. So genealogies were important because they showcased your family history. And just like with a resume, right, the people that you chose to put onto a genealogy says a lot about your priorities. It says a lot about who you think you are. The people in your family says a lot about you. So we come to this genealogy in Exodus 6, right, we can look at this and say, oh great, 16,000 names that I don't know how to pronounce. Next. Or, we can start to say, so why does God want us to have this? Why is God putting this here? What is the Lord saying? Here's what I think the Lord is doing. I think this genealogy is demonstrating the qualifications of Israel's Savior. The message of this passage is that the Lord demonstrates his saving power by showing the weakness of those he chooses So the first thing you probably notice, right, is that this genealogy is kind of out of the blue. If you remember what we were talking about before at the end of chapter 5, right, Moses uh, comes to, uh, the Lord comes to Moses and says, I'm the Lord. Watch and see what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to remember my covenant. I'm going to use all that I have in order to save Israel. Despite all of your fears, despite all of your doubts. And then the Lord says, okay, here's a genealogy. But the point is, right, the Lord is saying, so this Moses, this Aaron that the Lord has uh, uh, rose up, risen up, that the Lord has chosen to save Israel, here's their genealogy. Here are their qualifications for the job. Here's their credentials. So um, it's no accident, right, that this comes off the heels of Pharaoh tightening his grip. Israel's refusal to listen and to understand and to obey. Moses and Aaron are failing. And now we're forced to wait. What's going to happen next? We just saw failure, right? And then the Lord promised to still save Israel. And now we're forced to wait to find out what happens next. Because there's a question that Moses asked back in chapter 5 that God wants to answer. And if you remember at the end of chapter 5, Moses' whole rant against God about why God is evil, how he is not being faithful, Moses said, why ever did you send me? Why did you send me? Why Moses? Why Aaron? Why did the Lord choose them? And then the Lord doesn't quite answer that right away, but this genealogy provides some of those answers. And the first is that Moses and Aaron are descendants of Levi. So if you notice, uh, it goes first Reuben, then Simeon, but the stars of the show right, are the sons of Levi in chapter 16. Or sorry, verse 16. Moses and Aaron are born of the Levite decennage. So what this means is that they are, the Lord is setting them up to be the foundation of the priesthood. That they are coming from the clan that God said, these are going to be the priests of Israel. So just the fact that they're Levites is already the Lord saying, these will be your priests. Um, and some of the names right that show up later, such as Aaron's sons, they go on to be priests themselves. So by showing the connection to Levi, right, the Lord is, is showing, or Exodus is showing, that they have qualifications to be mediators, to be priests on behalf of Israel. But the other reason why God shows them specifically is found in the details. First notice, only three people in this whole genealogy are given ages. We have uh, Levi, right, in verse 16. We have uh, Kohath in verse 18. And then we have Amram in verse 20. And the reason is, all the way back in Genesis 15, the Lord said, To Abraham that his descendants would be enslaved in a foreign land for 400 years. Or roughly four generations. So each age that you see in our genealogy here is is roughly one third of 400. So add it all up together. The point is the time has come. Moses and Aaron are part of the generation that would be freed from slavery. That the Lord is being faithful to his timeline that he established all the way back with Abraham. But this brings us back to Moses and makes us think, well, wait a minute. What about when Moses failed in chapter two of Exodus? It makes it all the more clear that it wasn't time yet, that Moses had acted impatiently. He had tried to to kickstart God's plans decades too soon. Instead of waiting for the Lord to act, in chapter 2, if you remember, Moses acted. He killed the Egyptian that was beating an Israelite. He acted out of impatience, out of arrogance. I think that's part of the point of the genealogy highlighting the the lifespans of Levi, Koath, and Amram. It's pointing out Moses' glaring flaw that he acted way too soon. He tried to be the savior of Israel before he was ready. And then there's other, there's other little details in this genealogy that, that uh, stick out to us. There's specific people that came before and after Moses and Aaron. In particular, right, their father took uh, his own aunt as his wife. In verse 20, Amram took as his wife, Yaqabed, his father's sister. So Moses and Aaron's mother was also their great aunt. So if you wanted to, to qualify yourself or point out right how great your family history was, I don't think you'd include this detail. I think you'd hide this detail. You'd say, this, that's the dirty skeleton in the closet. We're not going to touch that. But that's just the start. Right? Aaron's family is a mess. Aaron himself, if you think about what he goes on to do, was he this amazing priest and mediator who led Israel in righteousness? No, he built golden calves. And he said, bow down to these. And then his sons uh, follow after Aaron's own model of idolatry. So Aaron took his wife, in verse 23, Elishaba, the daughter of Aminadab, the sister of Nashan. And she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. Now, if you remember Nadab and Abihu... They were also priests, but they were two who went off into the wilderness and offered strange fire to the Lord, and the Lord judged them for it. They committed idolatry in the pattern of their dad, worshiping God in the wrong way. Their idolatry wasn't quite as devastating for all of Israel, like Aaron's, but it was bad enough. And then verse 25 Aaron's other son Eleazar, he takes as his wife, daughter of Putiel, the wife who bore him Phineas. Now the genealogy doesn't offer any commentary, right? We're kind of left to figure out what this means. Um, but what we do, what we can figure out, is that Phineas is an Egyptian name, and Putiel is probably an Egyptian name as well. Which means that Eleazar was not faithful uh, to the family line. He married an Egyptian. Uh, he polluted the pure line. Of Levi. The point is that in taking a non-Israelite, he's showing that he's a mess. That the family is a mess. That Aaron's a mess. That Aaron's dad was a mess. That if you wanted to show the, the qualifications, if you wanted to show here's these people who are amazing, their family history is spotless, it's not what this genealogy does. It does the opposite. It highlights their flaws. It points out their mess. But the point of the genealogy is not to say that Moses and Aaron were qualified. The point is actually the opposite. In highlighting all these details, all these uh, family histories, genealogy is saying actually Moses and Aaron aren't qualified. Yes, they came from the right tribe. But being born into the right family is not enough. I think Moses confesses this and understands this when he says in verse 30, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? I think Moses understands that he is not qualified to be Israel's savior. He has done nothing but fail. And as if to say, not even from the start was he qualified, this genealogy shows that he's not the right person. But if Moses isn't, if Aaron is not, then who is? If you remember back in the intro, I said that this genealogy was about Israel's Savior. This genealogy is about Israel's Savior. It's about the qualifications of Israel's Savior. And having just seen that Moses and Aaron aren't qualified, who is? Verse 29. The one name in this whole passage that stands alone. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. See, Moses and Aaron were never meant to be Israel's savior. They were only meant to stand and represent the true savior of Israel. And that's the Lord. So why why go through this whole genealogy then? Why do all of this, showing the unqualifications of Moses, the unqualifications of Aaron, and then just end up with, oh wait, it's actually the Lord. What's the point? And the point is that in showing the unqualifications, and showing the weakness of the people God chose to use, God is showing His strength. He's saying, "I am so powerful to save that I can choose people like Moses and Aaron and still save Israel." He is proving, without a doubt, that it's not Moses, It's not Aaron. It's only the Lord. That when he chooses weak vessels, he is showing that there is no other way. Nobody else could do what God is doing. And that's the answer to Moses' question. Why me? I'm not qualified. How will Pharaoh listen to me? And the Lord's answer is, I am the Lord. I am Israel's Savior. It makes it clear, right, that this is not a mistake. Three times in verses 26 and 27 does the Lord say, this is Aaron, this is Moses, is these people who I chose, they went to speak to Pharaoh, they're the ones I raised up, but I am the Lord their weakness, their unqualifications, all their failures, all their shortcomings, all that does is show how amazing God's power is. That He can use them and still bring an entire people out of Egypt. The Lord shows his ability to use messy and broken people for his purposes. So don't try to qualify yourself because that's not who the Lord loves to use. The Lord loves to use messy and broken people like you and like me. I think this passage tells us don't qualify yourself. Don't try to be qualified for God's ministry, for God's purposes, for God's kingdom. Because God's power is shown when he does use the messy and the broken. Which means no matter where you think you are, whether you think you're amazing or whether you think you're the bottom of the totem pole, God can still use you. And he does. But this won't be the last time that the Lord will use a genealogy to prove this kind of point. Later in the Gospel of Matthew, the the genealogy of Jesus does a very similar thing to our passage today. Israel's Savior, Israel's Messiah, he didn't come from a pure, spotless family history. He came from prostitutes. Jesus came from Gentiles. Jesus came from broken and messy people. So instead of proving the qualifications of Jesus, this genealogy in Matthew shows the messiness of his family history. Why? Because the Lord loves to use people who don't seem qualified to the world. People that we would not consider worthy or qualified or strong. Because the Lord is interested in choosing the weak and the unqualified to show his power to shame the strong, to shame the wise of the world. That's what the cross is all about. The Savior of Israel was not the perfect image of worldly strength. He was shamed. He was despised. He was spat upon. The cross looks like the weakness of Jesus. But it's through that weakness that the strength of God to save sinners from death is truly shown. The Lord saves through the cross. Because it's through the cross that Jesus conquered sin and conquered death. All to set you free from slavery to sin. And not because you were qualified to receive this salvation. You're not. You're the one who put him there. It was your sin. And it was my sin. But it's exactly the unqualified that Jesus chose to save. That's who he came to die for. If you want a a nice perfect image of this message you can look to the table look to the supper because the supper doesn't look like much doesn't look like strength and power it looks like regular things, bread and wine it looks normal, everyday, mundane but the supper actually provides a nice clear distinction between those who are qualified to be in God's kingdom and those who aren't and the only qualification is to admit your weakness and to come to Jesus in faith. It's the only qualification to be in God's kingdom is to cling to Jesus in faith. And the supper proclaims that for all of us It proclaims that if you are one of Jesus's, his power to save is yours. I'd like to invite the others up so that we can taste and see that our God is good. Mighty God, we thank you that everything we have is from you. We thank you that you provide not only what we need, but you provide so much more. Our lives and our hearts are full of your grace and abundance. Out of that abundance, Lord, with gratitude, we give to you these gifts. May you take them and use them for your glory. May you increase our gratitude in our hearts. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.